If you would, please turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we finally made our way through this, and we have two verses left, the end of this, this letter from Paul to Timothy. We're going to read, starting in verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of that which, or what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and, and thus gone away from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are humbled when we come before this word. It is so deep, so rich. There's so much here. Um, Lord, we, we just thank you for um, entrusting us with this word. Thank you for just your revelation and letting us understand this word and giving this word to us. Um, and our Lord, I pray that you would give clarity, that you would give understanding, that we would see the awesomeness and the responsibilities that we have because we have this precious word. Lord, we, uh, we, we are humbled because you have entrusted us with this word. May we, may we obey what this word says. May we bring it into our hearts, our minds, our lives, and it be lived out in our lives. Lord, we are dependent upon you for that and for your grace. Because we can do nothing in our own strength. Lord, we, so we depend upon you. Now, as we, we come together together today, corporately, I, I pray that we would do so with prepared hearts, hearts that are pure, and that you would just allow no distractions, that we would understand your word, your word would be expounded upon, and there would be clarity here. Lord, I pray that you would be blessed, and you would, you would bless, and you would be honored and glorified. Um, today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the church, Daniel's Bible Church, the church of the 20th century, 21st century has been blessed to receive a a legacy. And it's a a legacy of of people, people who, who have clung to the truth. They have clung to the truth and this legacy goes on for, for 2,000 years. These people have clung to the truth in spite of attacks to this word. Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, an early church history book, uh, exposed us to a recording of, of what happened to the early church. And they were under persecution. Some were sewn into animal skins took animal skins, put the believer in there, and they would sew them up and then feed them to the lions. Some were burned at the stake. You know the stories. We can go on and on. Some were crucified. But they would not recount, recant. They, they held uh, with tenacity to this truth. They would rather die than to compromise or denounce this word. And that in and of itself is a heritage that that we have gained, that we have now. 
is that people have died for this truth. And that in and of itself as well demonstrates how important this is. This word, this truth is. I like what John MacArthur says concerning this passage. He he says this, The most important yardstick by which a church can be measured is not how large it is, how good its fellowship, or how interesting its pastor is. It is not how good the music is or how well the grounds are kept or how respected this church is in the community. The most important measure of any church is how it handles the Word of God. This is God's standard. This is God's Word. And we will give an account on how we handle it. So that's God's standard. And the way we handle it is important. And there's consequences for the way we handle it. In fact, MacArthur goes on to explain that the biggest crime then of the church is mishandling God's Word. And I would agree. Mishandling God's revelation, His message to us. If we mishandle the gospel, we teach a false gospel, there is no power of the changed life with that gospel, that comes with that gospel. And that uh, then people remain in darkness. And they remain in their sins. And if they die in their sins, they will go to hell, as Christ said. The consequences are great. If we misrepresent our theology and understanding of God, who God is, betray God as of something different than He is, and He then becomes a false God, and that then plunges people into what? Idolatry. Idolatry. The consequences are great. We have to handle this this word accurately. If we distort, even even if we just distort the teaching of how we are to live our lives here on this earth, that mars the very image of God in which we were created. That mars the glory of God, which is supposed to be uh, reflected in our lives to the world. All of those things are marred. We have to get this right. We have to be accurate. We have to represent it with... With truth. And Daniel's Bible Church has stood and stands on this legacy of 2,000 years of church history. And we stand on an absolute universal truth of this Word, of God's Word. In a, in a world that's more hostile now to the truth. And is becoming more and more hostile to the truth. And let me just say, we probably should prepare ourselves for persecution. That if we are going to hold to what this word says, what this book says, we will be persecuted in this day, I'm sure. Now, in this passage of uh, the end of chapter 6, Paul is winding up this letter to Timothy. And he's given Timothy one final instruction here. And he picks up on the theme that's woven throughout this book. This theme of handling the Word of God and the importance of truth. The importance of Timothy's teaching. He has laid this all out. And now, in summary fashion, he's giving one final push. One final reminder. One last emotional plea, if you will. That should ring in Timothy's ears when this letter is over and you finally and you get the idea that this this 
uh, concept, this idea, it's essential for the health of the church. It's essential for the growth of the church corporately, but also for Timothy individually. And you begin to realize what Paul is saying is profoundly important. It's profoundly important. And here's what I want us to see. You'll see it on the screen there. God's people have, a, have been entrusted with the truth of God's Word and must protect it from error. Must protect it from error. The question that Paul answers for us today is, how do we do that? As, as people of God, as people who have devoted themselves, committed themselves to God, how do we protect the truth of the Word of God? How do we do that? And then Paul, and like I said, in summary fashion, he basically gives us two broad commands here. And they're broad they're, they're, they're kind of just big picture ideas, big picture principles, we might say. Uh, two commands. First of all, we are to protect this truth. And then we are to avoid error. We are to, to guard and avoid. That's the two commands. Now, it's going to take me two weeks to get through this, these two verses. I'm just letting you know up front. I can only do one at a time. So we're going to see, you're going to see the first one. Believers are to guard the truth. Believers are to guard the truth. So let's look at verse 20. Next week we'll, we'll look at the, the rest, but I, I want to get this. I want you to understand the depth of what Paul is talking about here in verse 20. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Now we just stop right there. Oh, Timothy. It's a, the last letter in the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega, right? But it's a term of emotion, isn't it? We recognize that. We do the same thing today. And what you have here is you have an older gentleman trying to communicate something that is just profound to a younger man, Timothy. And he's wanting Timothy to understand how important this is. And Paul is drawn into the emotion of this. And he says, oh, Timothy, realize how important what I'm saying is. Have you ever done that? Have you ever talked as an older person trying to talk to a kid? Listen, you understand how important this is. You've got to hang on to daddy's hand. You, you can't just run out like this. And you, and you speak with some emotion. You understand that? That's what Paul is doing here. There's some emotion there. Oh, Timothy. Oh, Timothy. Timothy now was the, the teaching elder at the church at Ephesus. Paul had left him there to correct some uh, theological issues, and we saw that in chapter 1. And Timothy was the, the teacher. He was guiding the church through the teaching of this truth. And so Timothy was, it was crucial that Timothy got it right, and Timothy was also an elder. Is the teaching elder and the shepherd of that church. And there were other elders. There were a plurality of elders, but Timothy was one of those elders, and he was teaching. The primary command comes to Timothy, but the implication is for the whole church. And he says, guard. Guard. There's a lot of depth to that word. But just in a general sense, it means to, to keep something valuable, keep it safe. Keep it from... Harm, protect it, protect something that uh, is precious to you from being, um, to, from being harmed. In this case, it's the truth, and we keep the truth from error. And that's the idea. 
And the tense of the word here to guard is an aorist imperative. I know you don't care about that. I just am telling you that this adds to the urgency. You need to understand that. There's an urgency here, and and even the verb tense that Paul uses adds to that urgency. And it's a demand, demand that Timothy continue on as he is. And it's a continuous action. He's been doing this, and he needs to continue to do this. And it should be unbroken. So the idea is, don't stop. Continue on guarding Timothy. That's the idea. And he says... Guard what has been entrusted to you. Entrusted. The word there is deposited. It was deposited to Timothy. When I go to the bank, my money is precious to me, isn't it? It is to you, especially in these days. And, and we take our money and we deposit that money into the bank. We put our money in the bank. And that money, we put it there for safekeeping. We put it there for safekeeping because we know that they will protect that money. Even if somebody goes in and robs that bank, they're insured, aren't they? So, so my money is, is safe and I can rest at night. Yeah, my money is safe there. And what they do when I deposit, they give me a deposit slip. We entrust them with something that's precious to us and, and they keep it. That's the idea. Timothy, you have been entrusted with something that is so precious and it's been deposited to you. And you need to keep it. You need to guard it. And it's truth. It's truth. We'll look at that. But it's spiritual truths, spiritual information that has been entrusted to Timothy, not to Timothy only as an individual, but Timothy and the church. Remember, uh, Paul described the church, if you look back at chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, in case I'm delayed, he says, I'm writing to you so you know how to, to conduct yourself in the church the, of the living God, the pillar and support of what? The truth. That's the church collectively. So this is the whole, the whole church is to guard We've been entrusted with the truth. We can say Daniel's Bible Church has been entrusted with the truth. Uh, Hendrickson, in his commentary, he says this, and this kind of sums up the idea of this. He says, the suggestion is that the Christian message is not something which the church minister works up for himself. Ministers don't just go to this word and just kind of come up with truth themselves. No, Or he doesn't have the privilege of adding to it, he goes on to say. Here's what he says. It is a divine revelation which has been committed to his care. That's sobering, folks. A divine revelation. This is something from God, a message from God that has been entrusted to his care. And which he has a bonded duty to pass unimpaired to other people. So essentially, he takes it from God. It's here, written down. He takes this and he just gives it out. He doesn't get creative with it. He doesn't kind of redo it. Doesn't kind of add to it or take away. He just gives it as it is. This is it. And it's from God. I think you get the idea. We're to guard the truth. The truth has been entrusted to Timothy, to the church. You get the big picture anyway. Now I want to probe a little bit deeper. A little bit deeper because, here's why. Because this affects what the church is. This affects the very core of what we do. It affects the very core of the mission of the church. 
This is why we do what we do. This establishes our priorities. This is why we have certain emphasis here at Daniel's Bible Church. And so I just have some questions, and you'll see on your little handout, there's four questions that I have concerning this passage that I want to draw out some other uh, from other passages, but I want to... I want to nail these things down because these things have to be clear in our mind. This is what a church is to do. In the first question, you see it there. What specifically was entrusted to us? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We need to have this settled in our mind. We need to, we need to know these things. It's very fundamental. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, says this. For who among men, or who among men, knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? The spirit which is in him. He's making a comparison here. You'll see it in a second. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, he's, he's comparing man's spirit. Who, who knows the man? More than his own spirit. Nobody does. Who knows God more than his own spirit? No one does. Now look at his point. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now that's a, that's a precious thing. It's a wonderful thing because he knows God. He knows what God wants. He knows what God wants to communicate to us. He knows just how to communicate it as well. So that, he says this, so that we have, so that we may know, we can know it solidly, for surely, confidently, we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, the picture is God, he has this message to man through the Holy Spirit. He gives man that message. It's secure. It's not going to be messed up. The Holy Spirit is going to give that to man. So we can know it, and it's freely given to us by God. He goes on to say, which things we also speak. So God sends it through the Holy Spirit to man, and man speaks it out. And that's Paul. Paul is speaking it out. Not in words taught with, with human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. Sometimes these things are, are not, these are not just material things. This is supernatural ideas, things that man has not thought of. And so, so we have to combine spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. These are new concepts, Paul's saying, straight from God. And he goes on to say in verse 14, the natural man can't even understand these things. Something has to happen within the person. There has to be a work of God that the spiritual man, he can understand these things. He can understand things. Now, I want you to see another verse. So the idea is God has sent a message to man through the Holy Spirit to men. Now, Peter helps fill this out in 2 Peter. I'll just read this verse real quick for you because you already know this verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says, so we have this prophetic word, so this message from God, okay? We have this message from God made more sure. It's more sure to us than even our own experience. He says this, to which you do well to pay attention as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Skip down to verse 21. No prophecy. This, this prophetic word... 
No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Man did not do this. This was from God, he says. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You get the picture. You get the idea. God has a message to man, to mankind. And he used, he chose certain men and he uh, allowed the Holy Spirit to move them along. And they wrote this thing, this message down for us. That's what we have today. That's what we have. So this thing that we are entrusted to cannot be limited to just the gospel. It goes beyond the gospel. This is about God. This is this revelation from God is about God and God's redemption of man. It includes the gospel, but it's everything that is accompanying the gospel as well. And it's been written down for us as a message from God. Now, what is our response? First Thessalonians chapter two. We read this verse to you. First Thessalonians chapter two, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. So Paul, he speaks out. He's just he comes into this town of Thessalonica and he speaks out the word of God and they hear it. They hear it. He says this, you accepted it, not as the word of men. A lot of people did it. Most of the towns just rejected it and said, "Ah, it's just the, the words of Paul. The, this, these people, these who believed, they, they said, no, this is, this is from God. But for what it really is, it says, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work. That's power. It performed its work. It began to change their life. They listened to this message and it changed their life and they began to realize this is God's word to those who believe. And you who believe. They believe first. Now, you got the picture. We've been received. We received this message. It was freely given to us by God. God sent it by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit um, moved men along. They wrote these things down. We take that same message and we begin to preach it out. Paul began to preach, to preach this. And so you get the whole idea here. And you begin to realize that it's important. This is a message from God. It's important because it is inherently valuable. If we have a message from God, the true and living God, then it has value, right? It has value. I mean, it's not mere men. When you look on this globe, there's six billion people. And none of them are God. This is a message from outside of this globe. This is a message from God. And it's to all the people. But it's been entrusted to us. And we need to realize its importance, its significance. We need to realize it for what it really is, the Word of God. Do you know how precious that is? Do you know how rare that is? What a rare commodity. How special, what a special privilege that we have. Now here's what happens though. And it happens with me. When I'm given something, it's a little cheaper than if I have to work for it. If I work for something and I put my, I put my time and my energy and my paycheck into it, then it has value. This was freely given to us. And many, many, many times we just kind of 
cheapen it. And we kind of put it down. It's just one opinion among many opinions here on this earth. No. No, we cannot think that way. This is a message from God. A message from God. The true and living God who created us. Who created us. Well, there's much more that can be said there. We dare not cheapen what this word is. This is not just mere opinion. This is God's word. Now, let's go on. Here's a second question. How are we entrusted with this truth? How does this work then? Technically, on a, on a very particular way, how does this work? If you look over 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's two elements here. Of course, this word, this message from God was written down for us. And that's a, a wonderful thing to have it written down. But I want you to see the process. How this is entrusted to Timothy. Timothy is our model here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. These are sacred words. This is God's word. This is holy. Which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in, which is in Christ Jesus. So these scriptures. Paul is saying, Timothy, I know that your mother and your grandmother, particularly, they made you memorize this word. They made you know this word and read and study this word. And you knew it. And it led you to salvation. It led you to salvation. And I believe that that's the first point. The first important thing, if we're going to be entrusted to this, there has to be salvation. Now, let me try to explain how this would work. Timothy would have to respond in belief... To this gospel, to this, to the truth of the gospel. Now let me try to explain this with my own life as an illustration. Someone told me about God. Now in my case, it was my father. It was my father. He was a pastor and, and he told me about my own sinfulness. He informed me. He informed me about my own sinfulness. He informed me about God's wrath and the danger that I was in if I stayed in my sinfulness. He informed me about God's love. He informed me about who Christ was and Christ's work on the cross. He informed me about Christ's resurrection. Now that's information, right? He's entrusting to me information. He's bringing it into my mind. He informed me about forgiveness of sin and the need for repentance, okay? Now, I could have just taken that information. That's just information that I know. I could have taken a test and passed the test, and uh, I could have dispensed that information on to somebody else. But it's not just information, is it? It's not just information. I believed in that truth. I put my faith and trust in that message from God. And here's the thing. I experienced that truth. I experienced that truth. I experienced the conviction of my own sinfulness. I would have to say, yes, Dad, you're right. I'm a sinful person. I experienced the fear of God's wrath upon my life. I experienced the brokenness for my own sinfulness. And the repentance of that sin. And then I experienced, after when I confessed that sin and asked for forgiveness of that sin, I experienced the freedom of forgiveness. And I experienced the love of Christ. Truth of the gospel had an impact in my life. 
It was not just information that was coming in. No, it had an impact in my life. I experienced that. And that's the first step. Folks, if there's no real belief in this truth, you're not really entrusted with it, are you? It's just information that comes into your mind and uh, it can be dispensed out, but it has no effect on your life. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. We have to respond to this message. There has to be belief in this message. We have to put our faith and trust in God's message, not just the message, but the God who sent this message. Now, like I said, I could have just passed this message along for a long time. I knew the gospel. I could have, I could have led somebody else to Christ and me not having experienced it at all. It had to have an impact in my own life. And it did. It did. I experienced those things. But here's the thing. I could not stay there. The second step. The second step has to be there, folks. We look over in Hebrews chapter 5. And we read this. Because I could have stayed just this baby Christian. I have some basic information. The forgiveness of God. The love of Christ. The wrath of God. Just some elementary things. But here's what the author of Hebrews says. In verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. He says this. For though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. This message from God I mean, you got it. It's, it's there. You got it in the right order. But you haven't grown past that. You haven't done anything with it. Elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk. And not solid food. There has to be growth. Now, I know on this, I don't know if it's on the screen, but in, on the little pamphlet, I said there has to be the, the gospel is the first element. And then theology, you can write beside, write that, right beside that theology, discipleship. There needs to be discipleship. The gospel, it will have its work and it will change our life. It will have its impact in our life. The truth of the gospel will. But there has to be more than that. To be entrusted with this truth of what we have, we have to know it. We have to go beyond just the elementary things. We have to grow. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. We have to grow up and be mature about these things. Who, because of practice... That's taking the Word of God, working it through our minds and our lives and our hearts and having it have an effect on our lives, implementing it into our lives. Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good from evil. Good and evil. Discernment. And that comes from, from mulling it over. That comes from meditation. That comes from reading. That comes from studying. So we don't just stay there. So let's further my little illustration. Paul, by the way, calls this the whole counsel of God. And that's what he did. He would go into a, a place and he would lead people to Christ, but he would give them the whole counsel of God. He would give them as much discipleship as could be. There has to be a growth in their understanding, a depth in their theology, if you will. Now, so here's the, here's the scenario. A young lad... Timothy, much like myself, as a young lad, my, my father, he preached every Sunday. I would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I would listen. 
And the truth was being imparted into my mind, entrusted into my mind. And it began to take root. I began to respond to that gospel as a young boy in eighth grade. And then I, I, I went to my mom and dad. I said, can I go to a Christian school? Because I knew the, the influence of the public school was not good on me. I was going the way of the world. And I knew I did not have the strength in my own self. And so I went to a Christian school. Christian school was not much better. But I had the truth imparted into my mind. Then I went to Bible college. And more truth was imparted in my mind. But here's what I began to notice. I began to notice that that truth began to transform who I was. It began to to transform me as I yielded to that truth. As I yielded to what I knew. So it wasn't just information that was imparted. It was a life change. Do you get that? Do you understand? there, There is both. There's both. Paul describes that in Romans chapter 12. He says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's a verse you you know well. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to take this, this truth that we have been trusted with and we have to mull it over in our mind. We have to think through it. It has to change our mind, change our, our life. It has a transforming effect on our life. And sometimes that can be a slow process. And that truth began to validate itself, its truthfulness, in my life. As my life began to change, there was power behind that truth. And then I graduated from Bible college and I began to teach on my own and uh, teach others. And I, I learned even more. And I realized how much, how little I knew even after Bible college. So I went to seminary. And they imparted more truth. But this truth was the skill of how to handle this. How to feed myself from this word. Skill and understanding. And then again, I began to teach others and I began to grow. And the Lord began to change my heart with this truth. This is not just an information dump. This is a transformed life. And that's what it means to be entrusted with the truth. Anything else is, is secondary. It's a long process. It's men pushing that truth into my mind for many years. It's not, like I said, an information dump. Even the Apostle Paul. There were three years out of his life, once he became a Christian in Antioch, he went out for three years. He spent time kind of in the desert and he communicated that, that Christ taught him. And he was caught up into the third heaven. You can read about it a little bit in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, and these different places. But Paul, it was even that was not an information dump. There was years of Paul's life that he had to get it right. So we are entrusted with this truth. And the first step to being entrusted with this truth is salvation. The second step is discipleship. There must be discipleship. We cannot stay, baby Christians. The importance of what Paige is saying and Tim was saying of being in a small group and letting that truth interact in your life and begin to to, uh, uh, obey that truth and work that truth into your life. And that leads us to the third question just very quickly. How can we ensure that we are passing on the truth accurately? I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. 
Timothy's our, our main focus. Second Timothy chapter two and verse two. He says this. Now this is this is key. This is important. The things which you have heard from me. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to his disciple Timothy. And Timothy, by the way, had followed Paul around, and he was discipled by Paul. And he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful. Faithful men. How do we ensure that we're doing it right. You evaluate those people's lives, those men's lives, and say, are they faithful? Are they faithful? The big picture, here's what you have to have. You have to have somebody who knows and somebody who wants to know. That's it. Somebody who knows and somebody who wants to know. That's discipleship. And what we looked for when I was with, uh, with Capital Ministries, there was, we were trained to, to look for fat people. Faithful that got your attention, didn't you? Everybody looked up with happy. Only fat people can be disciples. No, no, no. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. They're fa- are they here every week, week after week after week? That shows some level of commitment that they're, they're wanting this. There's a desire there. Faithful, available. Do they make themselves available? Will they carve out time? Is this important enough to them to sacrifice something? Sacrifice a lunchtime. Sacrifice a breakfast time. Sacrifice something. Faithful, available, and unteachable. There has to be a humble spirit there, doesn't there? To say, you know what? I don't know it. I'm going to have to find somebody that knows more than I do. And I'm going to have to go with them. I'm going to have to ask questions. It's humiliating to ask a question because you are admitting you don't know. What's so, it's what's more humiliating is when somebody asks you a question and you're supposed to know and you say, I don't know. It's humiliating. But essentially, what you have is someone who knows and someone who wants to know. There has to be an internal drive there. There has to be some kind of motivation that says, I want this truth into my life. And that secures that we're doing it accurately. Faithful men that demonstrates a commitment level, at least some level of commitment there and sacrifice there and humility there. And we saw that with Timothy. Timothy left his his mom, his grandmother. He left his life and followed Paul for 15, maybe 20 years. There's a huge level of commitment. The disciples, didn't they? Peter and the disciples, they left all that they had and they followed Christ. For three years, Christ discipled them. And when it come time, Jesus tested them at one time. He says, hey, do you guys want to just leave too? Like everybody else? Everybody else is kind of abandoning Christ. Peter, what did Peter say? Where would we go? You are the only one with the words of life. You're the one with the word of life. Acts chapter 2, it says that the church, they devoted themselves, they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's discipleship. And they were faithful in it. Faithful men, somebody who knows, is teaching, somebody who wants to know. There has to be that internal motivation, that internal drive, that internal desire there. So that's what we watch for. Who's faithful? Who's available, who, who carves out time, who makes themselves available, who is teachable, who is teachable. And that ensures that we're, we're going to do it right. Why? Because these people are committed. People are committed. 
Now, the last question then, let's get to this final one, is then how do we guard the truth? Well, it's kind of obvious by this stage, isn't it? How do you guard the truth? Timothy, guard the truth. Or guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard it. Now, guard is, is much more than just protecting it. In fact, protecting can have the wrong idea. It can have the wrong idea. I mean, it's like saying, protect that lion. Wait a second. That lion, in certain senses, that lion doesn't need protection. You just let that lion go, and he's going to eat whatever comes in front of him. I mean, you don't protect a lion. You just, you just kind of unleash it. That's what this word is. I mean, it's, it's like a lion. You just let it out. And we might come up and, and say the best defense is a good offense. And offensively, we just, we just let this lion go. And, and man, its truth will, will work its work in people's hearts and minds and lives. The bottom line, here's, here's what we need to do, though. We need to live it out and we need to proclaim it. Two things. We need to live it out and proclaim it. How do you live it out? We ha- have to believe it. It has to change your life. You have to love it. You have to elevate it. It has to be important to you. And then you have to obey it. And it has to become a part of who you are. It's been entrusted to you. It's a part of who you are. It's part of your identity. There's a reality there. And to get rid of God's Word in certain senses, you would have to kill all the Christians who are living out that Word. And then you have to proclaim it. To do that, you have to know it. You have to study it. You have to defend it. And that's what the church did for many, many years. Those persecuted years of the church. They were defending the truth. And sometimes they would do so with their own life. So the question is, what part are you playing in this? Are you discipling? Are you being discipled? We have to guard the truth. And then that whole process. And that whole process of who we are... We're guarding. We're protecting what God has entrusted us with. Why? Because it's becoming a part of who we are. It's becoming a part of us. So God's people have, have been entrusted with the truth of God's Word and must protect it from error. Now, next week we'll look at that a little bit deeper. What does it mean? We have to avoid some things. have to avoid a lot of things. We'll look at that next week. But what are you? Where are you in this process? Let me ask you this. What priority is this to you? Do you really not even care? I mean, you could come in just kind of off the streets and sit down and listen to this. And there's no entrusting there. Yeah, yeah, I can take it or leave it. It's, it's kind of, that's one opinion. It really is not that important to me. Or is it really important to you? Discipleship is a major part of this church. How involved are you in the discipleship program? A church, this church is a legacy For 2,000 years, really, if you want to go back to it, protecting the truth, guarding the truth, we've been entrusted with it. And here we stand. We stand with men and women throughout the ages who who have lived it out in their life, who have proclaimed it in their life, and who have given them lives for this, to protect this word, as opposed to denouncing it, or as opposed to twisting it. But it's taken hold of us, isn't it? We can't just go away in the dark. It's changed our life. We know its value. It's important to us. It's important to us. We cannot do less than what has been done centuries before us to defend it, to protect it. 
We've got to do what we have to do in this world. And it's going to be hard, folks. It's going to be hard. But we have to know it first. We have to study it. If I looked at your Bible, if I looked at your Bible, would it be marked up? Could people tell that you've studied? Do you have circles, words circled? Do you have lines? Do you have underlined? Do you have, is it yellow from use? Or has it been used at all? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what an awesome responsibility we have as individuals, but also collectively as a church. My responsibility, Lord, of getting it right, getting it accurate when I proclaim this word. And Lord, help us to realize this is who we are. This is what the church is, the pillar and support of the truth. We stand on it. We live by it. It's part of us. It's who we are. It has changed our lives. We can never be the same. It's had its impact. Now, Lord, help that to define us. Help us to remember this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We would love to be able to talk with you about these things. If, if this is foreign to you, if you, you have not been exposed to these truths before, let us sit down and talk with you. We have elders that will be able to do that. I'll be at the back. You can talk to me. Even during the week, you can call me. This word is important. Um, it's had an impact on my own life. I've committed my life to the study of this word. I've committed my life to the proclamation of this word. Um... But I have to do so humbly because, you know what? I'm wrong many times. And I I have to be so careful. But you know what? As a church, collectively, we have to get it right, don't we? We have to get it right. The souls of people depend on it. The theology that we live out depends on it. Our worship depends on it. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. Please let us know. Lord... We've come and we've heard from your word today. Help it to sink deep into our lives. Help it to be our identity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.